0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to my Social Life this is the podcast where you can hear the real stories behind the people on social media. I'm your host, Jacob Kelly. As always, today's podcast is powered by TrueFan. And today is an episode of the Social Report. And the Social Report is a monthly podcast in conjunction with TrueFan, where we sit down and break down some of the most interesting influencer marketing and social media news from the last 30 days. As always, today I am joined by TrueFan CMO Karen O'Brien and TrueFan Advisor Scott Birdie. Welcome back to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Jacob. Thanks, Jacob.
0: I'm excited. I always say at the beginning, at the top of every episode, I love doing these. These are a ton of fun for me. And where I want to start today is with Twitter's new tip jar feature. So it's new that they released, I think the press release came out May 6th. So it was the beginning of the month. They released two new monetization features on Twitter. And the the tip jar and the super follower. So the tip jar is just how it sounds. You can go on like in the blog post that they put up when they launched, it was like, we always see you in your viral tweets where you're like, here's my Venmo, here's my cash app link. Like hoping people will, will give just tip them when they have a viral tweet. So Twitter's just built that functionality into the apps. There's a little jar icon on a person's profile. If they have it activated where you can leave tips to these people, or you can do the super follower, which from my understanding is like a monthly tip where you tip $5 a month and you get exclusive perks and access to this creator exclusive content, Um, which is interesting. And I have two questions based off that. The first one is with what, what is your thoughts on Twitter's innovation over the last 12, 18 months? Cause like Tip Jar and Super Follower are just kind of the most recent in a string of platform changes. After I felt like Twitter didn't really update its platform for what felt like years, now they're just throw like shipping new features. What it feels like every couple months, like we have had fleets, then they had audio tweets, they have spaces, they had that new newsletter pop up sign up feature that you could sign up for people's newsletters right within Twitter. Now we have this. What do you think of Twitter's innovation, and what do you think of the the super Super Follower and the tip jar functionality is this something you're going to use like what are your thoughts on that
2: I mean I don't think Twitter's taking a cut of that right it's literally just going to creators
0: I don't actually know that's a good question something I didn't even think about when I when I, the I blog think post. I
2: think Twitter isn't taking I think I read Twitter is not taking a cut of that which I admire a lot copy I'm always surprised yeah I'm always surprised like how much the average person is willing to give to creators I think it's phenomenal and fantastic and if Creators can monetize that way, then they don't have to depend on ads and sponsors and all sorts of things that might be a lot more committing for them. So I think it's great. If it I'm interested to see how it works.
1: Yeah, same here. I mean, you know, it seems like a good idea. It seems like an integrated idea. Like I guess when I think about your secondary question, um, you know, like what do I think about this in comparison with like this string of features or updates that have come out on Twitter over the last little while? It does feel a little bit like maybe they've been, um, you know, for lack of a better term, like kind of throwing shit at the wall, uh, on, the, on the feature front, less so than like really considering, I guess, like the most appropriate kind of go to market, you know, based on their current positioning, ex-competitors and and such, but yeah. <laughs> When you're in that position that they are like, I think that's almost what you have to do to see like sort of what's sticking and also where you're sort of differentiating yourselves and, and getting all that feedback from your user base, like really what they're liking and what they're not. Um, However, I I would agree with you just in the sense that like they've almost been on the kind of like that LinkedIn post uh, Microsoft purchase route of like, it, it doesn't really matter what it is. If it's like it can gain them potential users or more like, user loyalty like for like a few users then then they're going to throw it out and like just start giving it to some of their more power users um like have you has anybody seen anybody using this on twitter just yet in terms of the tip jar and kind of just seems crazy though i mean like to to karen's point around like it's always amazing how much money people will throw at influencers nowadays like is that is it needed like is that something that we believe is needed on like social like you know like thanks for the instagram post like I'm, I'm gonna pay you for having shared that with me now like i don't know
0: and see like that was my first hour i was like i've never once maybe this just makes me sound kind of like an ass but i've never once read a tweet and been like i wish i could give you money you know what i mean like like, I think I, I, the super follower makes sense. Like, I understand you're getting exclusive content. Maybe you're getting access. I don't actually know. I haven't seen anybody using the super follower function. Like I've, I don't know any, I haven't seen anybody pushing, like become a super follower to get this, this, and this. Like I haven't seen anybody taking advantage of that. I have seen some people promoting like, Hey, here's my tip jar. Check it out. Like, um, but I've never seen anybody push the super follower. So I'd be curious to see what, what a super, what access you can get as a super follower, because like, my first thought with that was like, well, maybe you could put like your big, long threads in for your super followers only, but oftentimes it's those big, long threads that get the most engagement, the most shares, which increases your reach, which brings in new followers. So it's like, you wouldn't want to take that away because that could stunt your growth. So it's just like, I don't know what exclusive content on Twitter could look like.
2: If you look at like YouTube equivalency though, I think it's like called super chat or something like that. I mean, it is a huge moneymaker for creators on YouTube. It's one of the biggest money makers all up, and it really surprised me when I saw the stats behind it. But I think it's, you know, if you appreciate a creator and you want to see them keep going and not have to depend so much on brand, you know, sponsorships and that kind of thing, then maybe it's something that you just want to, you know, support a creator that you really admire. And like,
1: I I was just gonna say too, I almost viewed it as like a little bit of a, I'm not sure if it'll get used this way, but kind of like a crowdsourcing model applied to twitter or at least it could be used for that sort of function like on an influencer level of thinking about like e-commerce and things of that nature like if you want to go out and start a business or like you're trying to create some something of value um you know almost like giving your community a chance to like be a part of that creation by like dropping not so much like a value tweet but like a hey like i'm gonna be doing this and you can be a part of it like donate to my tip jar and i'll you know, I don't know, tweet out some of the names that can com- like donated to the cause or like to the first iteration the MVP of XYZ product or business. Like, uh, I think that would be super cool. And it, yeah, it gives a way to kind of like add some level of personalization to your fans and allow and them to engage on a level that's like a little bit more, well, it's like a deeper connection.
0: Yeah. I mean, just an idea too, like just seeing someone, um, his name's David Perell. he's doing a limited launch of a book. And I was and just kind of used to saying that sparked like, what if he did like all, like all of his super followers gain access to the book? And that's the only way you can get access is by becoming a super follower on Twitter and you get your access to the book that way by being like a monthly subscriber and like that could be the exclusive content. I don't know. It's interesting. It's pretty new. So it's going to be cool to see kind of how it gets used over time. But to your point, Karen, too, with like super chat on YouTube. And I was thinking kind of, as you said, that sparked, like my girlfriend watches Twitch and she's tipped people she watches all the time on Twitch. And like, maybe like just from my perspective, it's like, I don't think I'm really a part of like any fandom to the point where I would tip like I feel like when I consume, I've been consuming based off algorithms a lot lately and not following people to consume their content, especially on YouTube. So that could be part of the reason why I've never I've never donated because I feel like there has to be that level of connection with the creator. And I just feel like I don't have a really deep connection with any specific creator to the point where I would tip right now.
2: You're starting to see even on like Reddit though, coins. And yeah, I mean it's it's starting to pop up on every single platform. TikTok has
0: its own equivalent Yeah, Yeah, on their live streams. No, for sure. Yep. One of the next, the next one.
2: Sure. So I spent some time this month watching the new fronts and just for those people who don't really sort of know what the new fronts are, this is sort of where like media buyers basically get a first look at all the content coming from the biggest players in digital and sort of the, the definition of digital seems to keep sort of expanding every single year it used to be more platforms, but now it's including some brands that have ad platforms and then publishers as well. So really what happens is brands, agencies, and influencers get into a discussion on the next year of future planning for advertising. It's really interesting for every marketer to kind of see some of those presentations because you get to see what's happening on, you know, some of your most favored platforms. So just, you know, it was Almost two full weeks, um, if you sort of stretch out all the discussions and the, the presentations. But um, Amazon Advertising was in there, Twitch, TikTok, YouTube, Conde Nast, it's a big publisher. Roku was in there, Snap, Twitter. Um, so I just thought it'd be helpful. I was just going to go through some of the the trends that I saw this year that I thought were really sort of um, prevalent. That that sort of are the the takeaways from that. So. The first one is that we're starting to see the merging of like ads, TV, streaming, and social video all come together. And this has kind of been a nirvana that a lot of brands want to see come together, but this is really quite marked. I mean, this is, you know, you're, you're, you're sort of working from broadcast live television all the way to social digital video and everything in between. And how can you reach your customer? in that spectrum and how closely can you address them so it's it's quite exciting um, also with ads going into it one of the things that i saw for example amazon advertising and twitch are really coming together i don't think that we're too far away from seeing um you know creators and streamers on twitch being given a, a tracked link into an amazon storefront it it's really quite easy to happen and i could see brands saying okay we want to work with these six streamers and i'm going to create branded storefronts for each of these streamers on amazon and then leveraging that easy you know one click frictionless e-commerce that amazon Ah. has and and delivery i think it's going to really be quite game-changing um and i think a lot of people felt that that was quite far away but it's it's real right now I think the other thing that I saw was almost every single presentation that was done featured either targeting tools or first-party data um, that the large media publishers and the platforms have at their disposal and that they can offer to advertisers looking to reach specific audiences. So I think we're going to see a massive transformation as a result of that sort of third-party cookies going away in how the platforms are really positioning themselves with brands and media buyers. Um, We know that first party data is becoming more and more important, again, as a result of that, but I thought it was quite interesting that all of those platforms are really doubling down to say how they're going to help you reach your customer. And then I guess the highlight, one of the highlights for me was TikTok. I thought that TikTok did an amazing job in the new fronts of really sort of showing how marketers can fit into the conversation and trends that are happening on the platforms to resonate with their customers. And there was a a quote from uh, this woman, Sandy Hawkins, who's a GM of Global Business Solutions. She actually said, people check social networks like Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, but they watch TikTok and Netflix. So I wondered what you thought of that. Do you think that's true?
1: yeah it's a great quote absolutely yeah i agree i think it's just a classic idea is to like people go on tiktok not to like go get away from what they're doing it's like an intentional getting on tiktok like you for some people i'm sure just like schedule that into their day so like you're committing to that versus like how allowing notifications to kind of like grab your attention if you will
2: yeah What I love so much about TikTok's presentation was, you know, they had all the usual stuff you would figure like, here's how you work with TikTok and here's how you work with influencers and, you know, here's how you can do all the different ad formats and tips and tricks and case studies. What I thought was really kind of striking was that they talked about the need to really um, be a part of a paradigm shift in marketing, which is defining culture of the moment on TikTok. So in other words, if you're a brand, you really need to understand how your brand fits into the cultural norms and the community on TikTok in order to have success on it. That you're going to need to participate in trends and to basically shift your marketing to those trends and take risks and also trust that um, creators will deliver a great brand campaign for you and not to be too prescriptive about, you know, your sort of how it has to land on TikTok. You're gonna basically give your creators confidence to do it. I thought that was super interesting because, you know, we all know that that is true, Um, but I think it's it's a huge paradigm shift as they said that has to happen on TikTok. And I felt like they were one of the first brands that I've ever heard or platforms that I've ever heard say that to brand marketers. You know, you need to shift your marketing if you want to be successful on our platform.
1: I think that's appropriate. I mean, it falls right in line with the idea of challenging, you know, any sort of like B2B sitting professional or leader. Uh, And clearly, New Fronts um, by the IAB is directed at marketing leaders. You know, that's who's taking part in those types of conferences and, and those events that they were holding. Um, So it's kind of putting that challenge out there, I think, to the broader industry, right? To say that, like, when it comes to consumption, like people actually looking to get entertained by short form videos, um, that that is really going to be the go-to platform and that understanding how to do it correctly on their platform gives you a sense of how to tap into culture. Like, I think that's a very strong challenger point. And I don't think there's really stats out there that could take away or, or allow you to sort of say, well... I view it, you know, I view it slightly differently. Like if you're talking about culture, especially in like a under 35 category, even though it's proven that an older crowd is also now on TikTok and making purchase behavior as a result of the content that they're seeing, um, it's a must. So, yeah.
0: And I think another thing too, like obviously to your point is they have to kind of relinquish the control of the creator for a more effective campaign. But I would almost argue, and I don't have data to back this up, but like, or purchase conversion, any any metrics, but I have watched and consumed more ads on TikTok than any other platform. Because if you do them properly and they look like they're a part of the platform, you don't even realize. And so I've consumed more ads unintentionally just because I'm scrolling through the feed and I don't even realize I'm watching an ad more than any other platform versus I'm trained to just flick right past an ad on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. But TikTok unless it's obviously an ad and then I can identify it. But if you can make it look like a TikTok, like to your point, playing on the cultural norms and looking like it's authentically supposed to be there, I will consume it without even realizing I'm consuming your ad. So I think it's just more effective from that perspective as well when it comes to advertising on TikTok, both with influencer campaigns and with just regular advertising.
2: Yeah, and I feel like they had a conversation also with some CMOs and ad execs, which is a conversation I never thought I'd hear Um, Happening between those groups, which was basically about the virality of TikTok and the organic virality. Things like the ocean spray, you know, surf, uh, skateboarding guy. What was his his name? Dogface or something?
0: Dogface 420 or something like that. Right.
2: Um, Those kind of organic moments and how powerful they are but also the fact that a lot of non-attributed e-commerce happens as a result of seeing something on TikTok. Like you can't track it from this creator, putting it in, putting a link, mentioning it, what have you, to the sale. But there's also that hashtag uh, TikTok made me buy it. And so they talked about like how prevalent that was, how powerful it was, and how many brands, after they started sort of having a presence on TikTok, just started seeing their sales go up. And there's no direct attribution as to why that's happening, other than that they have a presence.
1: Yeah, it's it's like heavy awareness-driven outcome. Um, by the looks of it. it, it goes in line with. I was just reading up on something earlier when I was looking around at like news over the course of the month, and um, I, I went back in time to like when I think it was last year or maybe earlier this year, but Charlie D'Amelio and Dunkin', Dunkin Donuts uh, doing a campaign together, like the the Charlie or the, I don't know, but like a donut named after. Her. And I guess she had the article spoke about how she had already earned them like a hundred million impressions or something like that. Dunkin donuts as a brand before they ever partnered up. And so like there was a clear understanding on her audience's behalf that like anything that was happening there on the brand partnership side was like, uh, aligned and, and definitely like in connection with her brand. <laughs> so I don't think they had any sort of concrete measurement after this came out, like you're you're pointing at, other than their app downloads were up like 56%, you know what I mean? Which is just a clear indication that like people are taking action from sort of some sort of mobile trigger. And prior to that, you know, so it's just basically the difference of like not having Charlie post versus having her post. Um, not too much else you can really track there on out in terms of the journey, but like it's proof.
2: And therein, though, lies the nightmare of the media buyer that has to prove that the money that they're going to spend is going to result in a purchase, right? And the ad execs that would help put that in place for them. And so that is sort of, I think that TikTok did a great job of sort of tackling the hard questions that that particular audience has. And the way that they're used to buying in digital, that everything is so specifically tracked. And so specifically attributable back to a purchase or a CTA of some kind to basically talk about, you know, community and awareness building and audiences. And I just thought it was a a really important discussion that when that moves forward, I think it will be phenomenal for TikTok. And I think also for other platforms that basically don't have the same, maybe the same kind of like direct attribution that. Some of the digital buyers might be looking for.
1: Seems like TikTok's marketing team is on point thinking about like what sorts of objections they're going to be up against you know, from the, the marketing execs and, and just going right after it, right at the start of the year. It's super cool. Yeah, they did a great job. I'd
2: also say that there was a couple of days of podcast upfronts, which I've never seen before. Like That was really kind of speaks to how prevalent podcasts and audio have become. Like in the past, there's been sort of Spotify would attend the New Fronts, you know, Pandora and a few others, but like nothing like this. This was full on, you know, several days of audio with podcasts being the feature. So that was very, very new.
0: Were there any takeaways from that?
2: Yes, but I can't go into it here. I'm going to put it up on a LinkedIn article.
0: (laughs) Perfect. The other thing I will just say before we move on to the next one is your point about Amazon and how they're kind of doubling down on Twitch, and I know we've talked about it. just kind of live video as a whole with they're also I believe they they got the rights to Thursday Night football, and they've got live concerts.
2: Amazon had some fantastic announcements, so they are going all in on sorry Amazon slash Twitch. So they're going all in on basically upping their game on media and entertainment. Um, They announced um, some Thursday Night Football exclusive on Amazon Prime and Twitch. Um, Then also they've been doing some concert series with Rolling Stone that'll be exclusively um, streamed on those platforms. Um, Yeah, they're just they're going way beyond gaming into media and entertainment. And I think it's an important, an important move for them. I saw a stat that said that their non-gaming audience doubled over COVID. so they need to take advantage of that and really evolve their platform from gaming into just streaming.
0: And to your point too, with how they're kind of upping their their ad product, like I wouldn't be shocked, and maybe this is what they're doing and I just misunderstood, but I wouldn't be shocked if they start to take the UI they have from their live social selling platform and start to build that into Twitch and into um, Amazon Prime, where you can just Purchase directly within the app without ever having to leave because they have it all available within Amazon already, right? So like that's just another incentive to advertisers where you can advertise your Pepsi with anybody, but you can also advertise it to people while they're watching football and they can buy it with while watching the game the entire time. They never have to leave the page, the platform, or anything, which will be interesting. I'm actually going to interview a guy who does some social selling on Amazon in like two days, so I'll have more info on look from a creator perspective later. But um, it's going to be interesting to watch.
2: Is he also on Twitch?
0: No, he's on YouTube though.
2: That's interesting. I would love to hear from him what his thoughts are on social selling on Twitch then, like if there's any crossover.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He and his his wife have been creating for like 10 years. They have like over 300K on multiple channels and now they have an agency as well that deals with... um, family-friendly creators and they paid out over $2 million over the last couple of years and all this stuff. But he was, I was in prepping for it. He was talking about how the Amazon social selling and how much, how crazy it is and how it's a revenue source for them and all this stuff. So it'll be interesting to see, because if Amazon's just testing kind of the functionality there, then they could then easily kind of copy and paste that to their other platforms.
2: It makes sense. One other just quick takeaway was Samsung advertising was in there. I mean, we normally think of Samsung as being, I think, more of a mobile you know, company, but you think about all the smart TVs, you know, fridges, smart fridges, like all the appliances that they have in the home, they're actually selling ads on a lot of those. So quite interesting
1: where that could go. It's like the true IOT, right? That is such an interesting part of digital. Um, I only became aware of how many free TV channels there are out there on some of those like mini, uh, I guess i don't know like manufacturer or like, appliances like, yeah, appliance based networks or whatever
0: yeah.
1: um but the lg one that i got with uh when i purchased a tv uh, for smart tv that i had like they have a lot of company specific channels so clearly like that they've sold on a more of a b2b basis but then you can see them moving in a direction where like if there are popular channels they actually do get hit with ads and i mean yeah it's super it's just another sort of like more decentralized way um but better for the users, just like a Netflix um, and, you know, Disney plus and all those types of things. Although I don't know how those two will kind of compete against one another. I suppose it's just different content altogether and um, how you can sort of use those sources for live TV as well as cable starts to dissipate. Yeah.
2: I mean, I think about if I had a fridge that would like basically pull up a list of stuff that I've eaten or taken out of the fridge and put that on an Instacart, you know, Instacart. So I could just have it delivered like here, you know, authorize this, here's the stuff that you've used up. Do you want to replenish? Awesome.
1: I feel like Amazon's already like three quarters of the way there. They just need to figure out mm. the fridge part.
2: <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> partnering with Samsung, maybe. Yeah. Who knows? Some others, right?
1: Um,
2: anyway, we could go on and on about the new fronts. It's awesome, but we have other stuff to talk about. So I'll put up a, a LinkedIn post about some of the takeaways from that overall
1: yeah you agree to see that and let me just take this as an opportunity to jump into a couple of good examples um of basically influencer marketing but the reason i pulled them was more around like that that first trend that you brought up which is basically like an integrated digital media approach like where you're looking at sort of all channels like across more traditional um, advertising or broadcasting Right through to social um, and how you can kind of integrate some of those different channels through campaigns um, and I brought up two specific campaigns uh, that were sort of broken down by marketing drive one was l'oreal and how they were shifting from product to content marketing uh, with a f- pro focused series so one of the big things for the hair products and and that sort of uh, industry is actually the sort of b to b to c marketing or really like the end users being um, hair professionals um, and potentially like hair artists and stuff like that. And so they've created a long form show um, that actually is hosted by three influencers so that they sort of pull in the influencer marketing um, approach to the show through the hosts that they've picked, as well as a sort of secondary component um, where they feature pros that they sort of back with their product in uh, one of the show segments. So I think the segments include something like reviews where they'll kind of quickly go into more trending items like hairstyles that people are seeing more of, right? So like grabbing that sort of attention. Then I think they move into that sort of pro, uh, basically just getting some advice or like, hey, like the word from the pros type thing on, on the ground. right? And And I think then they feature different things like innovation and product related happenings towards the tail end of the episodes. Um, along with, a, I guess, a chance to kind of plug anything else that might be interesting and relatable to the episode that's going on. But I think most of the episodes are uh, 30 to 45 minutes, and they were launched initially just like May 16th, so somewhat recent. A um, couple of things you know that I jumped to, though, is just like how this can be used right from the sort of digital channels that we were talking about, right? Like even some of those free channels um, across the digital sphere, whether it's TV-related, Um, or right to YouTube, how this could be used as an ad that's embedded just within the normal YouTube context of like, if you're reaching the right type of people, a lot of the episodes actually start off with a very, like, you know, highly engaging and potentially like a couple of influencers that you may know in that industry, if you're in that pro hair space. Um, and so it can grab your attention, potentially be even more entertaining than what you're watching then at the moment. Um, and then it comes back full circle with this like, hey, you have this sort of UGC approach where like influencers who are getting featured on the episode are just kind of sharing it out onto their uh, pages organically, plus the actual hosts sharing it out onto their own pages, and then kind of sharing this out across um, their organic pages for their professional network. You know, you end up with so much snippets, um, you actually end up with a bit more of like a focused content um, marketing product, I'd say. Uh and yeah, I think that like that's just one, you know, really good example of what you brought up. Um, Karen, you know, I'd love for you guys to jump in. The second one is Walmart, but I'll explain that one in a moment. I'll I'll let you guys jump in if you have any thoughts on the L'Oreal approach. I mean, L'Oreal is
2: so innovative as a company and leverages digital channels in a masterful way. Um, and I love that they're moving into this kind of storytelling. I'd wanted to look at it. I haven't seen it obviously yet, but um, the professional stylist, I mean, they used to have tons of in-person events that I'm presuming are probably shut down for the most part,
1: That's it. That's it. you part know, of during COVID, yeah. right? Yeah.
2: So I love that they're moving into that kind of digital storytelling and really bringing, you know, some influencers in that sphere into video. I think it's fantastic. Um, I'd love to look at it though. And I agree it, it, that kind of video and storytelling can go anywhere in any channel depending on where that particular segment spends their time.
1: Yeah. And also worth noting that it's like definitely globally targeted with, um, I don't know if there's French actual segments or show segments, but one, like they're, they all speak clearly like from different ethnicities, the three, uh, three hosts speak different languages and such like that. The show itself, I think is more of a French name, but is clearly targeted at like their most, I'd say loyal consumers. Um, Jacob, any thoughts?
0: I say yeah, they did. They're distributing it on YouTube. You said
1: uh, they have to be, yeah, because I think the actual episodes they're housed there organically, um, which leads me to sort of believe that, like, in those are definitely included in, in their sort of ads um, strategy within YouTube.
0: Interesting. Okay, I'm curious because, like, do you think it's going to be because you said they're 30 to 45 minute episodes, which obviously takes a considerable amount of effort to do. Is it going to be like a weekly show or are they going to do it in seasons, right? Like I'm kind of, I'm looking at it from more so of a different angle. Like, are they going to approach it from like a traditional TV perspective like or are yeah, they trying to just kind of, yeah, and just do it like a 12 episode run and then come back in six months or how do you know how Yeah, good call. It? This one
1: is a seven episode online video series about the cultural imp- impact of hairdressing per details emailed to marketing. So based on what they know, um, yeah, that's a seven episode one. And then to your point though, like. Walmart streamlined shopping with So Yummy cooking competition. This is another kind of similar approach. And I think this one touches upon the trend of like having TikTokers or, you know, those sort of social influencers that are going to be part of your shows, um, not, not confining them too much or like giving them such rigid guidelines in terms of like what they're going to be producing that it's not going to be very applicable to their audience. Um this one is definitely a little bit different and I think it's a maybe a 12 parter uh if I'm not mistaken but similar in the sense that it does feature influencers um so started on May 17th um, features food influencers using ingredients from a mystery box to craft themed dishes um so d- judges will select the winning recipe from each sh- each show um which will be made fully shoppable to the viewers via links walmart's online grocery store so it has that sort of like purchase integration component um, but equally will make its way onto social through the influencers that are actually featured on the show Um, they're not kind of limited to hey you have to cook this and this only like this is the recipe you have to make instead you can sort of make something that's going to serve or i guess cater itself to your own audience and the type of food that you'd normally be creating Um, and yeah all of this i guess the way they explain here is through Unbox, Walmart is open to consolidate its shopping experience into a fully digital pathway from content consumption to purchase.
0: I do think just kind of my initial thoughts on that is I, I really like it. I like the fact that, that you can like, to your point with the, the integrated purchasing, that it's all, th- it's like, because I feel like with influencers, oftentimes things can feel so luxurious and like so on another level versus what they're doing with walmart is it's things you can buy within walmart you can do everything they're doing yourself right versus like when people like sometimes i've seen like it depends on the scale of influencer but influencers get sent to a luxury hotel like me as a fan i'm not going to be like that's super cool let me go to this luxury hotel too let me just get a bank draft or something so i can go for the week but like i could easily get these products from walmart like it's not going to cost a lot so it's like it's going to allow them to Quote, like, live like the influencer at a much easier level than some of the kind of luxury, like, luxury influencer drive of C marketing like high end
1: products, if that makes sense. Yeah, deepening the connection. I also think it's a trend that we're seeing
2: with brands becoming media powerhouses. They're starting to create their own series, their own television shows, their own, you know, what have you. I mean, they're, they're going well beyond advertising and starting to become media publishers. I mean, they presumably could sell
1: advertising around that, right? Hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah, they definitely yeah. could. I
0: was I just say you could you can sell advertising, but exclusively to your customers that sell in your store. So you're making money off the advertising, and then off when people come in and purchase that product from your store as well.
1: Yeah, it's powerful, and and like I, to that point, they're really considering Walmart as the customer journey um, from a digital scope right now because. I, I flip the lens a little bit on like this type of idea and I look at maybe like the the grocery store that's hosting like a, a monthly webinar that's like, hey, like a cook night or something like that. Or, you know, there's the sorts of strategies that are trying to pull people together around like sort of food products that you can cook that don't take too long or whatever, but are probably drawing the, the viewer or the actual participant if it's like a cooking webinar to purchase the ingredients up front. Like, it's like, hey, go to our store, you know, kind of like branded wise, and then go to our store, purchase these ingredients, cook with us on this day. Versus this is kind of a little bit more of a proactive and education way of going, hey, come check out what we can cook with all this great stuff you can buy at Walmart. No pressure for you to cook it type thing, right? But like just see how easy it is with these people that you, know, you connect with, like an influencer. And then after you've seen it, you can purchase the ingredients now you know seeing the end product knowing how good it looks but also how easy it might be to cook and then not having that friction of like oh I actually also have to go in store um to then purchase it so i mean it's a big i think it's a great move on their part particularly for their food division where like they understand the sort of competitive advantage they have from a international even just in america here um scale versus some of the other uh, retailers
0: i was going to ask you two both cuz we're talking about how brands are just understanding the media companies a lot more now. Do you think partner, I understand why partner with influencers up front, but do you think we're going to see more brands try and manufacture an in-house influencer? Cause then it can kind of save them on costs of going to brands, like whether it be hiring an entertainer of some kind from a small scale and leveraging the platforms that you have with the followings that you have to kind of grow up this person as a creator to represent the brand. So you're not always having to go and cycle through different influencers for your show.
2: I mean they could. I mean, I look at Cameron of Walmart. I just think like him on TikTok, you kind of can't replicate that kind of authenticity. Um I don't know. I mean they can incur I know they have encouraged their employees to become creators. I think it's had limited success because you're still under the corporate eye, right?
0: But yeah, it's like looking at it from through a different kind of a different lens, like when there's famous journalists, famous reporters, famous like sports anchors, and all of them had no platform until they became a part of said media company, and then they were able to build up kind of an like a following that way. Like, could we see brands go that route and try and hire? like professionals to host their shows or things like that instead of bringing in influencers. Like that was kind of the angle I was looking at. It's not maybe just like hiring someone from the, from the shop floor, but like hiring, like a, like I said, a a journalism major, or someone who wants to be on TV, but they could do it for you instead.
2: I'm going to be very careful about the way I say this. Yes. If corporate communications is running that program. (laughs) (laughs) And I think they have to be very careful of how they, who they hire and, you know, cause it could, it can make them look stiff and inauthentic mm, if true. it was the wrong choice, the wrong casting choice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that you gotta be hopeful when it comes to like finding the employees like that. And just like, maybe the fact that they're going to take that ownership on themselves, if you do find like, you know, focus on the person, like the traits that they have, not necessarily like what they're going to be doing for you at the end of the day. Um, to your point they're carrying around creating in-house, um, and and we I think we've had this conversation on past uh, episodes or going back a few like we we talked about in-house influencers like I think this is all part of an investment and you know for companies like Walmart where there is definitely we've talked about this in a past episode an attempt to create a bit of a creator studio or some sort of UGC um, through their employees that's you know more systematized than actual program like big companies are definitely making that investment. And this was kind of the other point that I had to make here, which was off the back of a little bit of survey data that a company, um, editorial company got back. They basically did the same survey um, this time last year. And the survey respondees, it was only 163 um, enterprise marketers. So take this with a grain of salt, people. But out of that group, um, 68% of them said they planned on using TikTok for influencer marketing in 2021, um, this is the same type of pool where last year at this time only 16% of surveyed marketers said that they were going to use it. But I'm sure that that grew pretty substantially. That initial group that was surveyed by the end of year, right? Like they probably reacted to TikTok, hence the dramatic rise in numbers. But in the same data, it revealed that like only 36% of these marketers plan on using Reels. So this to me just points at the fact that there's like a percentage in the middle here of marketers that are aware of all the opportunities that exist and the fact that they need to invest, not just pay more when it comes to influencer or pay more when it comes to ads, invest and build a bit of an infrastructure, or a framework, if you will, systems around each and every one of these areas so that, hey, if influencer means a bit of in-house, you know, a bit of external work and a bit of like agency work to slowly build like what you're doing in house but also have a little bit of boots on the ground and some campaigns happening that agencies can focus on like that makes sense um but it also points to a bit of reactivity which is you know the flip side just trying to react to what's going on and not really being focused enough about hey what's our strategy what is the long-term strategy and what can we expect to happen from that strategy over a 2 to 3 year time frame not just you know views for next month and this upcoming quarter.
2: And who are we trying to reach through these influencers that we couldn't otherwise reach? Yeah. I think that's very important.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't think
2: influencer marketing is going to go away. And I think, in fact, I think it's going to increase.
1: I was going to say I think like, also, yeah. Well, from your, your time at Newfronts, did you hear any sort of like trends when it came to, cause I've seen percentages that kind of range, but influencer marketing being the biggest increase for most digital ad spend, is that along the lines of what you heard?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It was very much integrated into everything and every platform very holistically. But I would say that, like, the big things that you see is that the definition of influencer is really increasing. Hmm. It's no longer just the Instagrammer, right?
1: <laughs> it's actually a strategy. Yeah. <laughs> Not just the channel.
0: Yeah. I- Another interesting thing I don't know a ton about that just based this conversation kind of sparked this because I've seen a couple influencers that I know posting being at this place is wished like the shopping app has their own content house called the Wish House and I've seen different TikTokers TikTokers that I've had on the podcast but I've just known personally posting being at the Wish House in LA they don't live there but they're visiting the Wish House and so they've created which I think is interesting because I don't know who lives in the Wish House and none of the none of the tiktokers i've seen posting from the wish house are actually living in the wish house so i don't know if they're just like visiting other influencer friends and then because they're visiting their friends that are in this house wish is getting extra exposure off of that like one of these tiktokers is one of the top 100 tiktokers on the planet over 18 million followers on tiktok and he's posting at the wish house but he doesn't live there and i thought it was super interesting that this brand has gone and made their own creator house
2: is it is it a virtual house or is it a real house? I've never heard no, of it. It's
0: a, it's a real life house. Let me see if I can find it. I um, mean, it's part.
1: I don't. Is this a gaming company or no?
0: No, Wish is like the shopping app. Oh, Wish, the shopping. Wish
1: the shopping app. I mean, it's it's a strategy that has been used before in different, more specific industries, right? Like gaming was probably the most recent to kind of use that strategy to some great um, results. And I, I look back at like even like surfing and. You know, how certain brands kind of play a huge um role in that industry. And those brands have deep roots in like certain homes and certain areas, um, you know, that are kind of synonymous with that culture. And so I-, I feel like LA, synonymous with creator culture, like, you know, there's constantly people moving around. You sign a few creators, you put them up in a home, you can expect a ton of organic content coming from their friends, even if it's not the outright goal or you know, is not something you are you directly have a measurable for those unknowns, right? It's just sort of like, hey, this is a a positive um, kickback, if you will, or a little bit of ROI that's going to be cherry on top. Um, for which maybe they've gotten far more than they ever could have imagined or hoped for, right?
2: It feels to me like this is a bit of an extension of, you know, pre-kind of major influencers, you had bloggers, right? And like... Somebody like Whole Foods would have like a blogger day where they'd have all the bloggers come in and talk about that were sort of influential in the food space, talk about trends and conversations and programs that they had. And really, you get a sense of attending one of those things like, OK, I, this is really the people who are basically navigating the entire conversation around food in this area. Right. And if you create a destination now as a brand, I think you can attract those influencers to come to you and then have a point of view on your products and services. It's a bit, um, I don't know. I'd be interested in see how the wish house does if there was a high ROI on that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't like, this is just, I don't have anything like to back this up. Like I have just literally seen some people that I know posting from there and just this conversation of kind of, but to your point, Scott, when it comes to gaming, like that makes a lot of sense. Like I know, one of the TikToker houses, I think it might be the Hype House, moved into the old Phase House, and I just know that as the Hype House is in the old Phase House, just because that specific building is synonymous with the brand. Yeah,
1: Phase essentially, right? It's almost like they've left mm. a legacy there. Yeah, exactly. It's like the old Shopify building in Ottawa. And
2: We're you creating an, <laughs> a moment that influencers can basically create content around, right? Mm-hmm. In that Wish House or what have you, in those homes, those mansions.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think like I had this conversation on another podcast, like where someone was asking me about the practicality of content homes. And I think they're super practical from just like a creator perspective, because you could create a content house in Ottawa and like you get four people in a house split. Like if you split like a 2200 rent home four ways, like that's really doable. So it's like it's possible to do it. So you think from like, I don't know content houses are super interesting, but I know we don't have a ton of time left to dive into the dynamics of content homes, but is there anything else anyone wants to to quickly touch on here before before we jump off?
2: I don't think so. I don't think I'm going to be able to get that Ottawa content house out of my head now. I'm, I'm picturing Putin and Molsons and, yeah. you
1: know. Shorma. Um, weed,
2: maybe. I don't know. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> That's
0: awesome.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. No, I will... I have another
0: story, but I know we're a lot of time here. So I'm going to save, it. I'll put it in my back pocket and we'll talk about it next month. Um, I think it's an evergreen, an evergreen topic. So it won't be related to just this month. Uh, but I want to thank you both once again for taking time to be on this podcast. I want to give you the floor. Where can the people find
1: you? Plug anything and everything you got right now.
2: Um, Karen O'Brien on LinkedIn and Bond Jane Bond on Twitter and Instagram.
1: My first and last name, Scott Birdie at uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter wherever you hang out.
0: Awesome. Well, I'll make sure everything's linked in the show notes down below so people can find you. And I'll also link to all the stories that we talked about down there if anyone wants to check that out. Um, I want to thank you again, once again, for being on the podcast. I want to thank everybody for listening, whether you've listened the entire way through or you only listen to bits and pieces. I really appreciate it. Take your time. To check this out. Everyone do a big favor. Go and follow Karen and Scott. Like I said, I will make sure everything's linked in the show notes down below so you can find it. If you'd like to follow me, you can find me everywhere on social media at the Jacob Kelly. Feel free to come and say hello. My DMs are always open. As always, today's podcast is powered by true fan. Thank you once again listening everybody we'll talk soon